What is a joy and blessing to be with you here today, a blessing to be here uh, with Pastor Drew. So I invite you all to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15. And Drew and I, we've been partnering in ministry for many years. And one of the things we used to do when he was the youth director at First, Pres and, at First Presbyterian, and I was a Bible teacher and helped in the youth ministry, was a pastoral intern, is I would plan all the student trips with the high school. Drew would plan all the student trips with the youth group, and then we'd help chaperone each other. And so we did, got to do mission work in the Bahamas, in Miami, in Puerto Rico, and in Mexico, and other places. And Drew had a, a unique knack to always find a way to get some tropical disease, some sickness, some thing during the trip. And when we were in Puerto Rico, we thought, hey, he's made it through. It's no problem. And we did all this work, work building a playground and, and ministering to, to children and, and going out sharing the gospel. And so all week long at the end of the trip, we were promised they were going to take us out on a boat in the Caribbean Sea. And we're looking forward to, we get to the area where the boat, and it was this little fishing village, and it was a wooden old boat. And they took us out into the Caribbean Sea and one of the fishermen on the boat, Drew says it was a starfish. I said jellyfish earlier, but uh, they're passing around this little fish creature. And they said, oh, it's harmless. It won't hurt anybody. And so when it gets to Drew, what happens? Somebody puts it on his shoulder and it stings him. And he, he swells up like the hunchback. So we, uh, we, uh, we got him good on that one. But uh, he can't escape. So if you come down to Baltimore and partner with us, be praying for Drew when he comes down there. We'll see what could happen. Although when we eat crabs and celebrate, I know he's not allergic to them. So, um, But uh, now let's turn our attention here to Romans 15. And what we have here in the book of Romans, this is the greatest theological work ever written. You get the beginning of this book. It lays out that there's the gospel and we're not to be ashamed of it. And then it goes right at us. And it talks about the sinfulness of humanity, the sinfulness of man. And then it talks about how we're justified by his grace, by his blood, justified by faith alone in Christ, that God justifies the ungodly. And then it goes into our sanctification, how we are dead in sin, dead to sin, but alive to God, and how we have that struggle. And then in Romans 8, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, putting to death the deeds of the flesh and those great promises then we go back in eternity past in Romans 9 with the doctrine of election and then God's mysterious plan with the nations, all this great theology. And then we get to Romans 12 and he says, therefore, and the book changes from not just all the learning of the theology, but now putting it into practice, living it out day to day and living it out with one another. And that's where we pick it up here in Romans 15 Paul has been going through people in the church with weak faith and strong faith. And he begins to address the idea of strong faith and how we deal with those of weak faith and how, what it's to produce in us. So that's where we're going to pick it up here at verse 1. This is Romans chapter 15, verse 1. This is God's holy, inspired, inerrant word. Who, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, 
we might have hope. And may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for your word, that it is a light and a guide to us. And we pray that you give us wisdom, Lord. Give us wisdom to understand this and give us your grace to put it into practice. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, during the summertime, one of my favorite weeks of the year just came upon us. And if you had the Discovery Channel on at all this week, you know it was Shark Week 2022. And Shark Week, and I've lived by the ocean many years of my life, and I'm afraid to go more than maybe a foot in because I've watched Shark Week for so many years. And so I definitely don't swim with the water over my head often because it's too scary. They come up from the bottom. But one of the things that's amazing about our planet, planet Earth, is we're covered 70-plus percent with oceans. 70-plus percent our planet is oceans. And God created this amazing creature, the shark, over 500 species that we know of. There's some undiscovered ones out there yet. They discover new ones every year, it seems. And they're unique creatures, and they're there for a purpose, to keep the ecosystem in line. They're the apex predator. But each shark has different aspects, different roles in the ocean. The bull shark, one of the most fearsome, is a shark that actually hunts in the fresh water. They'll even come up in the the creeks in New Jersey and in Maryland and into the Chesapeake Bay because they like the brackish water because the other sharks can't go there. And so they're the top predator. They get all the food in that type of water. And so if you go swimming in the Chesapeake Bay down by the Annapolis, the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, you'll see bull sharks out there. You got to be careful. And so where we lived in Florida, they were all over the place. But the bull shark is the freshwater hunter. The tiger shark, it's the king of the Caribbean, the warm water shark. It's the one that's most feared, and it's aggressive. If you're in the water with a tiger shark, you need to get out of the water. It's trouble. And so the tiger shark, the bull shark, one of the amazing sharks I learned about even this year was the thresher shark. It's got a huge tail in the back, and it actually is one of the few sharks that hunts with intelligence. It swims up to a school of sardines, and it smacks it with its tail, and the fish are stunned, and it gobbles them up. And so they've only seen that in mammals, and now they see it in this fish, the shark, the thresher shark. The mako shark is lightning quick. It can swim 60 miles an hour. Could you imagine being in the ocean and seeing a 12-foot mako swimming at you that way? It'd, it'd be game over. And so these sharks are amazing creatures. And there's some sharks that are massive, huge, the whale shark, and it opens its big mouth, and all it does is eat plankton, eat little fish, tiny fish. And so all these different types of sharks, the oceanic white tip is one of the most fearful because that's one of my most fearful things is you have a plane crash or your boat sinks and you go into the water and you survive the crash, but the oceanic white tip is one of the first to come. They hear the sound and they come in packs. And so it's trouble. But these sharks are there for a purpose, to maintain the ecosystem, to keep the balance and it's 70% of the world is, is maintained with these sharks, uh, these ecosystems. And yet, when you think about our earth, and you think about the Great Commission, and you think about the mission field we have in 2022 that's out there across this earth, how much of the earth is still covered with people who don't know the Lord? I would argue it's probably 70 plus percent 
of this generation that doesn't know the Lord. From all the countries that don't know the Lord to the countries that claim to have Christianity in them, look at the state of that Christianity. It is an area, you know, we're in a time where the harvest is plentiful. We're in a time where the fields are white for harvest, and yet the laborers are few. And we need to take that challenge on and realize, too, that each of us, each of us called by Christ, are gifted with the Holy Spirit and gifted with gifts of the Holy Spirit to take part in that ministry. Just like one shark eats the fish smacking it with its tail, the great white, it gets to leap out of the water and get a big seal and get all the glory of Shark Week. But each of these sharks have a different role in the ocean. Each of you have a different role in the Great Commission. We're one body, but we're all many members. Some of us are hands, some are feet, some are eyes, some are ears. You are some part of that body if you're in Christ, and so you have a role. And if you lose a foot, how easy is it to walk around? It's not too easy. And so if you lose your eyes, you don't see very well. If you lose your ears, you don't hear very well. And so we know what it's like to have those things go wrong and how it takes everything off on the body. And so we need all of us coming together, the strong in faith, the weak in faith, coming together, maturing in our faith, being in harmony with one another so we can be welcoming, we can be on mission. That's why I called this sermon Living on Mission, because a strong faith is a faith that's maturing and stays on mission, where a weak faith is got a lot of problems. If you go back in Romans 14, look at verse 3 of Romans 14. It's talking about someone with weak faith. And it says, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. And so when you're weak in the faith, when you're not maturing in your faith, what's going on in the church? One guy is despising another because he's eating bacon with his eggs. Another guy is passing judgment on him because he won't eat bacon or he eats the bacon. And so we're despising one another, passing judgment on one another over trivial things. And I've seen it in the church happen over the color of the carpet, over who cleans the carpet, over what tie somebody has on or what tie they don't have on. And we get so caught up in little things. Well, that's my classroom and that's the kid's classroom. It can't be used for this. We get caught up in so much craziness. We lose sight that we have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ and commanded to go and make disciples to be on mission. And a strong faith majors in the majors and focuses on the key things where a weak faith gets shipwrecked and sidetracked by things that don't matter. And so a strong faith focuses on the word of God. Weak faith looks into other people, meddles with things you shouldn't be meddling with. A strong faith, it looks into the word of God and it looks into other people not to judge them or despise them, but to build them up. Not to please yourself, but to please others. To come together in harmony, and that harmony with one voice we glorify God and bring glory to our Lord. And it starts by getting our faith built up. And it starts by realizing we have a mission, a higher purpose than ourselves. I have this quote here from C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Weight of Glory. And in this book, The Weight of Glory, the weight of glory is not your glory, your inheritance, your eternal blessings that Christ has provided for you, that your faithfulness builds upon. What he's talking about, the weight of glory is the weight you carry right now 
about your neighbor's eternal destiny? Will they be, as Lewis says, an immortal horror or an everlasting splendor? Listen to what this quote says. The load or the weight or the burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. He says it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship it or else a horror and corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, or he goes, all day long we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It's in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours but the life of a gnat. But it is with immortals who we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. That's who we're dealing with. We have a weight of glory, the destiny of our neighbor. Are they going to be in glory with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are they going to be in judgment before the Lord Jesus Christ? And we are called to be that light, to make a difference, to work through us to be the light of Christ in this generation. The Great Commission is to go and make disciples of all nations, even to the end of the age. And God has promised, the Lord Jesus has promised to be with us till the end of the age. And so we need to be people to do this by maturing in our faith, growing strong in our faith. And when we get strong in the faith, we get filled with endurance. We get filled with encouragement. We get filled with hope that allows us to live in harmony and bless others and not so focus on ourselves. And so when you look at our passage here, it says that we're to build up others, not to please ourselves, and that we're to deal with the failings of the weak. Well, that's not an easy thing to do. And like I said earlier, if you've got to hang around someone like Pastor Drew all the time, you're going to see failings of the weak. You're going to see trouble, and you're going to need God's grace to deal with it. And that's the same with me and, and each of you. We, we, need, it, we have to wake up each day and get rooted and grounded in the Word of God. And that's what our passage says here. It says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Every day, we're called to be a disciple of Christ and deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow him. That's every day. Every day, we need to be rooted and grounded in the love of God. Paul prays that you would know the height, the depths, the width of the length of the love of God to be filled with the fullness of God, a love that surpasses knowledge and that we'd be rooted and grounded in it. How are we going to love unlovable people? How are we going to love different people? In the context here, in Rome, you had Jewish Romans and you had Gentile Romans trying to come together night and day. They were different. And it's not easy to love those different people. They had different customs, cultures, views of different things. And it's easy to get obsessed with what's different 
how they dress, how they eat, how they, whatever they do, instead of focusing on that we're now one in Christ, that we are in harmony because we were all sinners that Christ has paid for. And that's what we need to start in the scriptures, that whatever was written was written for our instruction. And we need to be instructed a lot in the scriptures. First and foremost is that we're alienated from God because of our sin. We have more sin in our lives than, than we realize. It's, it's an overwhelming aspect. And the amazing thing is we're spiritually blind to it. We don't see it. We can see things in others real clear, but we don't see it in ourselves. This week at our, our church down in Baltimore, we had our vacation Bible school. And I had the blessing to teach alongside one of the young ladies at our church who's disabled, this young lady, Lexi, and her and I co-teach the little kids because she's in a wheelchair, can't contain all these little preschoolers running around. And we were trying to figure out how to teach sin and forgiveness to that age group of kids with the Joseph story. So her and I brainstorming, we came up with a, a classic thing that preschoolers love, face paint. And so we took a bottle of blue face paint. We told the story of Joseph about how they harmed their brother and they threw him in the pit and sold him. And then we asked the kids, you ever harm your brothers or sisters or harm someone else? And they're all like, yeah, we, we've done it. And so we took a little blue paint and put it on their cheeks, put it on Lexi's cheek, put it on my cheek. And then we said, what about lying to your parents? Joseph's brothers, they went and they lied to Jacob, said that they found this uh, coat of many colors all bloodied up. A mountain lion must have got him. And they said, yep, lie to my parents every day, some of them. They're very bold. Yep, who does it? So we got the blue dots on our face. And then one of the ladies for an earlier lesson had made a little prison. So we said, well, the wages of sin is death, and you're a slave to sin. So we had to go into the prison, and we're in trouble. And we need to see our sin. And so we brought out a Bible and said, this Bible is the mirror. It's what instructs us on whether we're righteous or unrighteous, good or evil. It's not our feelings. It's not our culture. It's the word of God reveals. And we pulled out a mirror. And before we pulled out the mirror, we asked the kids, we want you to look straight ahead and look ahead. And can you see the dots on your face? And they couldn't see them. They, they were blind. But then we held out the word of God in one hand in the mirror and said, can you see the blue dots? And we said, yes. And then we had them all say, like David, I have sinned against the Lord when Nathan confronted him. And then one of the other ladies came with a rag and wiped away their blue dots. And we shared the gospel, how Christ died and washes away our sins. But it's not just preschoolers that need to see their sins. We need to see our sins and lay them on Christ. God doesn't reveal our sins in order to make us grovel in misery. He reveals our sins to lead us to Christ reveals our sins so they can be washed clean. He so loved you and gave himself for you. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, you will be forgiven. For God so loved the world, John three sixteen says, but Paul says, Christ loved me and he gave himself for me. And have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and given your life to him? Has he opened the heart, your heart, to see your sin and let it go? Because all you can do is try to push it underwater like a beach ball. It'll keep coming back. Push it underwater. It'll keep coming back. The only way to get rid of sin is not point it out in others. Because normally when you're not dealing with your sin, that's what you do is you point it out in others. It's to take it to the cross and be forgiven. And that's where faith begins, trusting in Jesus 
for forgiveness, eternal life. And then God works on our faith. And one of the things here we get instructed by the scriptures is we need to develop a love for the word of God. If we're going to live in harmony and have hope and live in harmony with one another and welcome others and go and seek and save the lost as Jesus calls us to, as Jesus did, we need to be rooted in the word. And there's a little book called Disciplines of a Godly Man. It's by a Puritan, Thomas Watson. And in that, he goes through all these disciplines of what a godly person is based on Psalm 32. And one of the things he says is a godly man, and you say godly woman, they love the Word of God, and they love spending time in the Word of God. Just like I get excited and I love watching Shark Week episodes, we, we need to get excited about being in the Word of God. And Watson quotes uh, John Chrysostom, a, an old ancient preacher in the 400s, such a good preacher, he got kidnapped from one pulpit and taken to another at one point. So I might be sending some of my people up to grab Drew and bring him back for us for a little bit. But um, Chrysostom said that ministry, it's like trying to uh, clean a patch of dirt that a muddy stream keeps flowing into. And he says that he needs solace. He needs strength in the Word. He says, when I go to the Word, I get away from that, and I imagine I'm entering into my favorite garden with flowers and herbs and hedges and quiet and peace to be refreshed from all the burdens and and the worries and the hurts of life. And we need to be in the Word for a refreshing, for a refocusing, because we're leaky vessels. You know, we, we, we need to be in the Word. I was talking to a, a couple teenagers out front of our church that were riding by. They saw the commotion from VBS, and they came up, and what's this going on? And I started talking to them, and one young man in his pride says, oh, yeah, I've read the Bible before. And I said, oh, that's great. He goes, yeah, I read the whole thing in three hours. And I said, well, so I knew he was just, you know, giving me some grief. And I said, well, I want you to think about your favorite food. You guys like to eat pizza. What's your favorite pizza place? And I said, well, how many times have you eaten that pizza? Oh, we like to go there all the time. And I said, well, that's what the Bible is. It's food for your soul. It's not just something you read once, not twice. You go to it every day to feed your soul. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we need to be setting apart time where you can spend time with the Lord in the word and develop a love for that. Notice what the passage says here. It says we get endurance and encouragement of the scriptures. We may have hope, but then it says, may the God of endurance and encouragement be with you. How are you going to be with the Lord spending time in his word? And that encouragement and that endurance will come. Later on in verse 13, God is called the God of hope to fill you with joy. And then at the end of the passage here in verse 33, may the God of peace be with you all. We have a God of encouragement, a God of endurance, a God of hope that fills you with joy, and a God of peace with him and one another in Christ. And we need to get our hearts rooted in that, in the word, to have that hope. And when that hope is in your heart, it re-energizes you, it refocuses you, it helps you focus on what you can do, not worry about what you can't do, and you start to make a difference in the ministry, make a difference in your family, make a difference in your life. And so we need to be people who love the word of God, love being instructed by it, corrected by it, rebuked by it, encouraged by it. Even Watson says we should love being threatened by it, the threatenings of the word. 
that if you do not repent, you'll perish. Those are real. And I was talking with the Sunday school. I showed a picture of this restaurant, the Dock of the Bay, which if you guys come down to Baltimore, you'll get to sit out on the dock and watch the ships come in and out of the bay, some of the boats. And in the Chesapeake Bay, it's tidal water, high tide, low tide. And so low tide especially, you can get stuck in the water. You can, get, you can go off to the right or left and hit rocks and sink. And so they have these bright orange channel markers in the bay. So when the boats are coming in and out of the bay on the middle river there, the boats, what do they do with those channel markers? They stay within them. Because if they get outside of them, they are going to sink or get stuck. And that's the same thing with the threatenings of our holy God in his word. They're there to be markers. You can go this far, but no more. Or you're going to face consequences. And so we need to rejoice in those and thank God for those because and share those So it draws a line and opens people's eyes to their sin and trouble. It's not being judgmental. That is being just clear with the word of God. And we love those threatenings for ourselves to encourage us on the narrow path because it's so easy to drift. And then he goes on to say we love the promises, the promises of God's word. When you get into God's word, the promises of God and, and a confession to make, I, I, I love coming up this way because not far from here is Shady Maple. And sometimes we come up with church groups and go to Sight and Sound, see a show, and somehow we end up at Shady Maple afterwards. And I'll eat my plate of food, and I love the roast beef and, and many things, but one of the delights is to go into the dessert area. And somehow I can't just have a piece of peach pie and blueberry pie and apple pie. Somehow there's a blueberry, apple and peach pie all on one plate. Thankfully, the ice cream machine, you can cover it all, so it just looks like one piece of pie. <laughs> and so it, it's just a, a delight uh, to eat and enjoy because at Shady Maple, there's, you eat what you can that day. And so, but that's what God's promises are. They're a delight to us, that God works all things together for our good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose that goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life and you'll dwell in the house of the Lord, that he who began a good work in you will complete it for the day of Christ, that he'll never leave you or forsake you, that he's with you always to the end of the age. Those promises are precious to us. They build our faith and they make us strong and they give us hope and we need to be refreshed in them. We have the threatenings of the word, but we have the promises that we're forgiven that if you confess your sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. With the students back in the youth group back in Florida, Drew and I, and and in the class, I'd always ask the students, who here can name the Ten Commandments? And one or two of them could raise their hand and they were ready to go. But normally we'd have to work through it as a class and we get all ten. And I said, you know, we need to delight in God's law and we need to know his law and you want to learn these commandments, they'll be a light for your soul. But then I would ask the people, who can name 10 promises of God and have those hidden in their heart? And we'd have a bigger struggle. You know, the kids normally knew that if you obey your parents, you're going to live well on the earth. And they know that the rainbow, that God will never destroy the earth again with a flood. So we get about those two promises. So I had to exclude those two. And then they said, well, he's going to destroy the world in fire. That's another promise. But think about those promises. How often are you meditating on God's promises? 
Are you in the Word, delighting in the Word, building your faith? Because when you're into the Word and meditating on the Word and your faith is building hope in you, you're not doing what? Prying into what your neighbor's doing, what your other uh, brother in Christ is doing, and worrying about the lesser things. You're focused on growing in the faith to serve and make a difference. A mature faith stays on mission. It's welcoming. It lives in harmony. It's bringing in others to the faith or attempting to bring them in in God's providence. And so we need to be a people who love the word. And as we love the word, we're able to love others, both in the church and out of the church. And here's the thing. God is going to test your faith. Your faith is going to be tested just like Abraham, just like Jacob, Joseph, David. And those stories, again, are encouragement that we get from the scriptures and endurance. Think about Abraham. Abraham's name was Abram, great father. Everywhere he went, great father, great father. But how many children did he have? Zero. None. That was a social stigma for Abraham, a real burden of his heart. And God promises him what? He's going to have a son. And his descendants are going to be more than the stars of the sky and the sea of the shore. And then he says to Abraham, I want you to pack your bags from Ur of the Chaldeans, Babylon, and travel to this place, Israel, Canaan, where you're going to be given a land. So he gets a promised son, a promised land, and he's also given a promise that his son would bless all nations at some point. And then he's given a promise that God will bless those that bless him and curse those that curse him. So Abraham, in faith, packs his bags and journeys all the way to Canaan, to this promised land. And is it a land flowing with milk and honey, ready to grow a family and be blessed? What's the condition when he gets there? In Genesis 12, it's a famine. It's unlivable. God's promised him a land, but God gives him a famine. So does he trust God? No, he gets out of there. He goes down to Egypt. And does he trust that God will protect him, curse those that curse him? No, he fears for his life because his wife Sarah is beautiful. And what do pharaohs do to you if your wife's beautiful back in those days? They kill you and take her into the harem. And so Abraham feared, said, nope, she's just my sister, take her. He gives us principles to live by. And then he's going to give problems to test. Are we living by his promise and principles? And then he's going to provide for us. He's still going to back us up. And he's either going to bless us and provide for us through the storm Or he's going to discipline us and take us back around for another test. That's how God works. And so he's maturing and growing Abraham's faith. Abraham wasn't ready to offer his son Isaac when he first left Ur, this promised son. In fact, he had to mess up and have a son with Hagar, who he had to cast out and broke his heart. And our weak faith, we birth a lot of Ishmaels in our life. And we need to cast them out and get back on mission and be ready to sacrifice for the Lord even if it's the most precious thing, knowing that the Lord can raise Isaac from the dead, he can raise us from the dead, he can raise your issues from the dead and make a difference. And so think of Jacob. Jacob was a man who was told by his sons that his beloved son Joseph was murdered or killed by a mountain lion. And did Jacob handle it well? He fell apart. Although he did have a dream that was communicated through Joseph that one day everybody was going to bow down to Joseph, a dream from God, a word from God. But Jacob, he sees the circumstances, my son is dead and melts down. And then what happens? A famine comes again. Once again, God testing. And Joseph's brothers go to this land of Egypt 
to find this helper of Pharaoh who's got all the food. And what happens? They have to keep Simeon back in the prison there in Egypt. They come back with grain saying, if you bring back your brother Benjamin to Egypt, then you can trade and have all the food you need to get through the famine. And is Jacob excited? God has provided a way through the famine. He has a complete meltdown again. He says, Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Jacob was living by sight, walking by sight. In reality, what was God doing? He was working all things together for good. Joseph was alive and well, ruling Egypt. Simeon was fine in Egypt. Benjamin would be reconciled with his brother and his son would be back to life. And the family saved and reconciled and forgiveness extended for such grievous sin. That is what God is doing. He's working all things together for good. And so we need to walk by faith, not by sight. Need to be rooted and grounded in the word. Remember his sovereign hand. Remember his goodness. Remember his love for you. Go back to the cross. That's how much he loved you. And When you do that, your heart is filled with hope and it's set free to not focus on who? You. But to help build up others, to help not please yourselves, to help welcome others and reach out and make a difference. To get along with one another so you can come together as a team and make a difference. And as we mentioned, those sharks, each of you have gifts in this church. Each of you have places you go each week that no one else goes. Whether it's a family member whether it's friends, whether it's a grocery store you go to, a workplace you go to, a neighbor you visit, whatever, a park you go to, you encounter people where you can begin to build relationships, not just seek to please yourself, but to reach out and plant seeds of the gospel. I know COVID's been a difficult time and it's difficult, but think about what you could do over your dinner table even, inviting people to dinner or inviting them to lunch taking the initiative with your unsaved acquaintances and people and trying to build that relationship, be welcoming to them to help bring them and introduce them to Christ. All we can do is plant and water. God has to give the growth. But you're not, you see all that corn driving around here, corn twice as high as me? There's corn twice as high out in these fields because someone's planted seed and it's been watered. If there was no seed planted out there, how much corn would be there? There wouldn't be any. And so we need to have hope because it's hard work ministry. Like Chrysostom said, you clean off a piece of dirt and more muddy water comes in. But we need to have hope. And in that hope, we, we sow those seeds in hope and we keep trusting God. In, in Luke 18, the parable of the persistent widow, a parable given that we'd always pray and not lose heart, Jesus asks a question. And he says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? And I challenge you with that. Will he find faith in you? Are you walking with him each day in faith? And, and there's an urgency to that because our time is short. Each of us, just our lives are a breath. And every day is a gift. Every day is a gift that we can start fresh in the word of God and start fresh with others and make a difference. And we can't worry about what was in the past, but every day we start fresh and new and we walk by faith. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for your word today, that it is a light and a guide to us. And I pray, Lord, that we would draw near to you in your word each day 
And that word would impact our hearts, that it would root us and ground us in your sovereign love, your sovereign grace, your sovereign goodness. And we pray, Lord, that our hearts would be filled with hope and that you, our God of hope, our God of endurance and encouragement, our God of peace would be with each person here. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.